hope you are reading First Thessalonians once a week and you are getting familiar with all these things here on First Thessalonians. We have made it to chapter 5 and uh, this is going to be one sermon on chapter 5 and we still have uh, two more before November the 28th. I titled this sermon today, Waiting for the Day of the Lord. Because Paul here in this, in this uh, portion of a scripture just is going to talk about the end times. I brought you that. Those are two Mayan natives. And the guy who's doing the calendar comes and says, I only had a room to go up to 2012. And that the other one that looks like a priest says, ha, that will freak somebody out someday. <laughs> Some of us, or most of us, all of us leave the 2012 and everybody was freaking out about the end of the world. The, the Magian calendar only goes to 2012. So how this uh, earth could end up is a big concern. This is John's, those are John Stott's uh, words on his commentary of 1 Thessalonians. And he said that Normally, people worry about two things. And uh, one is uh, where our beloved are going to end up. And the other one is uh, the end, the judgment. How is going the end to be? How is going to be the end? One is about that word hard for me to pronounce would be something like bereave bereavement. It's how we're concerned of our beloved ones when they, they go away. And the other one is the problem of judgment. So Paul already talked about the first one in the last portion we studied from 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. And we today are going to go to that second big problem that would be on the... The judgment, the end, what is going to happen. And we're going to look at three attitudes that I think that I look at the text. As I, I, I saw three attitudes that Paul is encouraging these people to have in, in a view of the end times. While we wait for the day of the Lord. The first attitude, the first thing I think... Paul is telling in verse 1 to 3. That's how I put the, the whole counsel of 1 to 3. Don't worry about the timing. I think Paul was telling the, uh, those people, don't worry about the timing. Okay? So, before I read the verses, I will pray as always. Father God, we come to you in this morning. We are so thankful you are a just and righteous God. And you will bring judgment. Father, thank you. Thank you because we can trust you. Because we can trust you are fair and righteous and just. 
Father, thank you for this letter that Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, delivered from error through the Holy Spirit, the guidance of your Holy Spirit. Father, we ask you, please, in this morning, that we may see these attitudes that Paul was encouraging these people to leave out. Father, help us to learn from your word and uh, help us to be encouraged about the plans that you have, God. Father, we love you. We praise you and we thank you. And we do all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul is telling to these people there, don't worry about the timing. We read 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 1 to 3. Paul is saying, Now, as to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying, peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child and they will not escape. This is, this is intense. And uh, Paul, I think, like I told you, is telling these people in this portion, don't worry about the timing. He begins saying now as to the times and epochs, that, uh, that expression times and epochs is only used three times in Daniel, in Acts 1, and here, and it's normally about the future and related with Israel. And uh, now, as the times and epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. It's telling you don't need anything else about this. But why? And verse 3, verse 2 begins to tell us why. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. And we should... Try to think a little bit about this term, the day of the Lord, because it might be confusing. I will begin to explain that. For Thomas Constable explains that the day of the Lord normally refer, refers in scripture as a period of time or a time in history characterized by God's working in the world, but in a direct and dramatic way. While God today is choosing not to intervene in some things, in the day of the Lord, He will completely say, I am going to directly intervene and dramatically intervene in human business. So that will happen at that time. So I gave you some of these scriptures there. You can ask for them later. I meant this for the video I'm doing for, for the people who are not here. So they can have and they can pause the video and go through the verses if they want. So there are 19 references in the Old Testament about the day of the Lord. 
and dozens of other places where it says, uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> where it says the day or that day, you can go now. So, and these are the, the times in the New Testament where we can find that. And I took those charts from the John Walbert commentaries. So let's try to go a little bit deeper into this. So this period of time of the day of the Lord is all this catalogical time that includes the tribulation time and the millennium time. Because includes those two periods, it's going to have two things. It's going to have a period of judgment and a period of blessing. The judgment will be mainly in the tribulation and uh, when Christ comes and uh, the blessing will be mainly in the millennium time. So other times in the scriptures, it also refers as the second coming of Christ just in a specific time. I will explain that more. And the third characteristic that I wrote to you is that the people who will be living on earth at that time, the ones that were not raptured, Unbelievers that will be at that time, they will not expect it. As verse 3 says, they will be saying of oh, peace and this is all good and safe. And it's going to come unexpectedly. So I brought you this. You have it on your last outline from last week. To explain to you what I mean by the day of the Lord when we said it could go with, uh, it, it could include the seven years of tribulation and the millennium. It could be all that span of time uh, or in, in some places it refers only of that blue arrow down there that is the return of Christ when he's, he's, go he's going to judge everyone in that specific moment of his second coming. So the, se the day of the Lord mostly is that eschatological time in which God is going to directly and dramatically act over the world. And it could be referred as all that long period or just that specific period in which Jesus will come for judgment. In the Armageddon battle and all that stuff. So, 1 Thessalonians 1 to 3. We are arguing here. I'm trying to explain how this is Paul's idea. And how Paul is saying, don't worry about timing. Don't worry about timing first. Why? Because he's going to come like a thief in the night. How comes? The thieves, when they're going to rob you, they come quietly, secretly. And the other good phrase that gives us a good idea is like labor pains upon a woman with child. And uh, and I took from the John Walbert prophecy commentary seven features of that coming. Okay. Like a thief in the night give us an idea that that coming is going to be secretly. We won't know for sure. Okay? The second one, from while people are saying there is peace and security is going to be to come unexpectedly. No one is going to expect it. People will be 
having fun, and they won't know. From the word sudden, we know it's going to be suddenly. From destruction, we know it's going to be destructively. From as labor pains come upon a woman, you know, you, some of you know more than me about that. You can even schedule your C-section, but if the birth pains are coming, they are coming. You don't have a chance. So, it's going to be inevitably and it's going to be irreversible. When labor pains come, you don't have another choice. Okay? And uh, the last one is that it's going to be inescapably. They will not escape. So, that's our text. And I will give you two reasons that we should look at and two reasons why we should not worry about the timing. The first reason, we should not worry about the timing because we don't know for sure when it's going to be. So we're going just to lose our time. We may freak out about the end times, but we really don't know. Okay, that's the first reason. And he's telling them in verse 2. He's telling you, for, you, you know that it's going to come like a thief in the night. You don't know. We don't know. Okay? And the second one, we, true believers, we won't be a part of that. Three, do you see the use of the pronouns there? Paul is talking there and he's saying, while they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly, like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. If you look at that, Paul is not including himself and is not including the believers in that. But we will see, although later, verse 9, that will support that view in which uh, Paul says that we are not destined for wrath, but to but to salvation. So, those two reasons. We don't know for sure the timing, and we are not going to participate of that time of wrath. So, the second attitude that I think Paul is encouraging them and will be useful for us to be encouraged on that is that one, this is get courage, you are on the correct side. I think Paul is kind of saying that in verses 4 to 7. You are on the correct side, you are on the right side. And I couldn't help myself to think on Star Wars on these verses here. Because it's making, it's making a big contrast between the dark side and the light side it's and it's a reality every human every person is in one of those two sides every person is a children of the day or a children of the night you cannot be in both and um, my first question was is this 
Star Wars thing about dark and night. Is it biblical? So I brought different verses. First one, John 8, 12. John writing in his uh, gospel about Jesus said, Then Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. And I like that verse because Jesus is saying he's the light of the world, but although he is giving us the way of access to walk in that light and is following him, is believing in the person and work in Jesus Christ. If we do that, we are going to be walking in light. And uh, I hope all of you have made that decision. But if any of you haven't done that decision, you just need to trust Christ as your Savior to believe who He is and what He did for us. And we just can be walking fast in the light. Colossians 1.13 and 14 says, For He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul, writing to the church in Colossae, He's talking about how he, God the Father, rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his son. Maybe most of you were believed when you were little, but I, in my personal life, that I was born again when I was 23 years old, I could see that transfer from that world of darkness that he took me and he transferred me to The kingdom of his son. And I brought you a last verse because I really like the contrast here in Ephesians 5.8. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. So... I colored and blue everything related with the sons of light or the children of the day. And I colored in red everything related with the children of darkness or the children of night. So I try to make the contrast evident for you. And, uh, okay, and uh, I even did this. So we have uh, this difference Like we were saying, we all need to choose a side. And that depends on if we believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior or not. And we will be called sons of light or of night if we are on the other side. But our position, what we are reveals our behavior. So what we should be doing in each of those positions. If we are children of the day... We should be alert and sober. And if we are children of darkness, we should, or normally they are, sleep and drunk. What that means. To be alert 
normally be, means to be watchful, to be attempt. And to be sober, it brings the idea of not having any impairment, to not be impaired in any way of our capacity. We are sober, we're not intoxicated, we are not impaired. We are at full capacity. So the idea is to be watchful and in full capacity. We can only do that if we believe. Okay? And uh, normally the opposite is uh, the people who haven't met God, they are sleep and drunk. Sleep is that they are in this state in which they are dead in the sense that they cannot perceive the things of God. They cannot, sorry, they cannot perceive their sin. They cannot perceive, they don't have a, a way to make a difference between good and bad because they cannot do that. They are spiritually dead. Okay? And they are drunk because they are impaired by this sin that they have in their life. They cannot see things the right way. They cannot perceive things correctly. Okay? And that, that includes they don't acknowledge God, they don't perceive God, and they don't acknowledge judgment when they are asleep and drunk. So, this verse 3 that belongs to the portion before this one, Give us an idea of these people. What does what these people normally do? These people who are sleep and drunk will be always saying everything is fine. When they say peace and safety, everything is going to be fine. Everything is fine. There's no God. There's no judgments. And we have several examples of that. We have the first example with the flood. God warned about the flood. And only eight people got saved on the flood. Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 19. Lot warned the family. And what happened? Judgment came. But even Jesus. Jesus in Luke 21, 19 and following. Uh, he, he told the people, the city is going to be destroyed. And the people stay there. And in AD 70, the temple was destroyed. And the city was destroyed. So it's, it's normal for these kind of people to know that judgment. To be advised about judgment. But they say, peace and safety. We're fine. We don't have any problem. And judgment comes. So while these people are sleeping and drunk and we get courage because we are on the correct side, we not only are in the correct side, but our position, the fact that we are on the correct side, takes us to behave like we are in the correct side. 
So I think the last attitude that Paul is encouraging in these people here is this one. Do behave as sons of the day. He explained him just right there, that contrast between those two kind of people. And now he's telling you should behave like that kind of people that you are. So we read from A to 11. And it says, but since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you are also doing. So I divided this portion in three specific actions we can do. First one, use your provision in verse 8. Know your destiny in 9 to 10 and 11, help others. So we're going to behave as sons of the day if we do these things. Let's go to each of those. In verse 8, I worded that, use your provision. We have been provided of things we didn't have before. And those three things are faith, love, and hope. We already looked at that in verse 3 of chapter 1. Those are basic tenets of the Christian faith. Before we believed, we didn't truly have this. But now, we have it. So Paul now, like he did in Romans 13, and like he did in Ephesians 6, is recommending us to be sober, but using this armor here. And... Uh, he describes two pieces of armor. The breastplate, that is that part that will cover all the vital organs of the soldier. And the helmet that will cover the head. It will, it will avoid the soldier's skull to be cracked or whatever. <laughs> so, what is the meaning of those? The breastplate of faith and love. How faith and love can work as a breastplate. Think about that. I liked a lot how MacArthur explains that. Faith and love are the reasons why mostly, most of the time, we don't sin. Let's make some examples. Faith. Lazaro, I am having a financial need. I cannot pay my credit cards by the end of the month. That's not the case, but for just an example. And I don't have faith for God to supply my needs. I don't have faith for God on having another extra job or an extra income. 
So because I don't have faith in God's provision, I decide to go and take some money from the offering plate or whatever to pay. I am robbing because I didn't have enough faith. And mostly when we sin, we are lacking some of that, or faith or love. Sometimes when we, if I get mad at Mr. Nick and I just want revenge or whatever, and I go after him, I just punch holes in his tires or whatever, what happened right there? I stopped loving my brother Nick. So I like what MacArthur says. Seeing mostly happens when there's a lack of faith and love. So faith and love, practicing faith to God and love to, the, to our beloved brothers, if we keep on that, we can be protected against sin and the domain of the devil and darkness. If we persevere in faith and love, we're going to be protected. Do you like that idea, how it works, how it sounds? Okay, good for MacArthur. So, as a helmet, how salvation can be a helmet, a protection for our head. I think that's great. Because in our head, although are the emotions... And Satan is always our thoughts. Our emotions are in more places than the head. So Satan normally and often mess up with our head, with our thoughts. And I think that that helmet is, is a great piece of the armor because protect us, our head. And uh, it does that... Through the hope of salvation is our protection. The hope of salvation is our protection. I will explain more about that. But to go out of this slide, I want you to look and think or more observe that all this armor is defensive armor. I always stop and explain this. Because in Cuba, we have charismatic, or charismatic people. And they all the time in their sermons and in their services are saying, we're going to defeat the devil and we're going to step on the devil. We don't do that. We are not on offensive. We are on defensive. If you look at the armor in... Ephesians 6, and if you, ladies, that you are studying James, we have to stand. We have to defend. There's no, we, there's no scripture that supports we attacking the devil. We don't attack. We stand. We hold. And he will flee. Okay? That's our position. The same here. We defend ourselves. We don't attack the devil. We, that's not our job. So Riley says that this hope of salvation means the full realization and experience of our salvation in the future. But I like Warren Worsby how he even, he doesn't go to the future, 
But he says that this hope of salvation even works in the past, in the present, and in the future, and defend us and encourage us in those three times. First one, in the past. This hope of salvation, my salvation in Christ, guarantees that all my past sin, guilt, and all the penalty of my past sin is gone. I know that, and that defend me from all the doubts and the fears. I tell you, I personally sometimes, things come to my mind, things I did wrong. And I have to go back at this. And say, I'm a new creature. And all the same things that I did are forgiven. Okay, I messed up. I have to pay physically or whatever consequences on this earth. But the penalty and the guilt are gone. Okay? Present. I am being saved from, from the power and pollution of sin. Because I am saved. My mind now has clear a clear view of what is good and what is bad, what is right and what is wrong. I'm not making the same mistakes over and over without seeing it that I was in the past. I'm not polluted with sin and the consequences of sin in my life today. And that's a big encouragement for me. So salvation has a... Consequences in the past, had consequences in the past, is having consequences in the present, and even more in the future. I will be saved from sin, and I will be saved from the wrath in the future that will come. So, knowing and having this certain hope, because this is a certain hope, it's not a probability of our salvation will help us so much, will defend us mentally so much against the attacks of the devil and uh, all the spiritual forces. It's sad for me when young believers or even older believers come and tell me, I'm not sure I am saved. I don't know if I can lose my salvation. Because you are defenseless when you have doubts about your salvation. It's like a city without walls. We need to be anchored in the scriptures about our sure hope of salvation. That will give us a great defense. If any of you anytime has any doubts, please come to me and we're going to read the Bible together and go to passages that assure us that we are saved and we're saved forever. Okay? So, know your destiny. That's the second action. We should be... Prepared, we should behave as sons of the day using our provision, this breastplate of love and faith and love and this helmet of the hope of salvation. But we also need to know our destiny. What I mean to know our destiny 
In verses 9 and 10, Paul is saying, For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with Him. This is a great verse for me because from here, this is one of the verses I take for saying my rapture is going to be before the great tribulation. Why? Because God has not destined us for wrath. One of the names of, of this period of judgment is the day of wrath. So we are going to be spared from the day of wrath because we are not destined for wrath. But for what? For obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us. That, so that whether we are awake or asleep, whether we are here or we just died, in this case is, is the meaning of this, we will be together with him. We are not destined for wrath. We have been destined since the beginning for salvation, for spending eternity with him. I when when we see the whole picture and try to see the whole Bible, when we see the whole picture, God created us at the beginning to have a relationship with him. That's, that's how it was in Eden. That's how Adam and Eve related to God. They had a relationship. But sin broke that. And the solution to restore our relationship with God came with Christ. And now, we, because we have Christ, we can have a relationship again with God. And more than that, we're going to spend eternity in His presence to finally make it all back to the beginning, even better to the beginning than the beginning. Okay? So it doesn't matter if we are sleeping or we are already gone with Him. That's the purpose, to spend eternity with Him. And now the last verse here Paul is being practical and is encouraging them to act upon all these things. It's saying in verse 11, Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you also are doing. My question would be, what should we encourage one another and build up one another about? I think primarily Paul is talking about the teachings that he had been telling them since verse 13 on, on chapter 4. So this will include both teaching, the teaching that our beloved ones who already died are in the presence of God and they will be all together. We're going to see them again. I think that's one of the things we should be encouraging one another with or about. 
and the other one is this particular teaching from 1 to, to 11, and is that we are not going to participate on the wrath, on the coming wrath, but we just should be behaving as sons of the day while we are waiting for that judgment to come. So I think he's telling them right here at the end, encourage one another and build up one another about these things I have taught you right here. And of course, that's primarily, but we can encourage one another and build up one another in so many things. So don't let it only on those two things. I am uh, really encouraged by the fact that I won't have to go through that tribulation period. Even if that begins in a week, I know that God will deliver me from that. Because he didn't destine me for wrath. But knowing that, knowing we are on the correct side. We should live and behave like people of the right side, as sons of the day. And my encouragement for us all today, because I will encourage myself too, is to be consequent to that, to, to just honor this privilege that we have to stand in Christ, this privilege we have to be delivered from this wrath and, uh, and behave the right way and be sober and uh, be awake and alert and uh, tell, the, tell others about what is going to happen and about the choices they have to decide for Christ. And the future they may have in Christ. And uh, it's my prayer that we all may encourage and build up one another in these teachings. Let's pray. Father God. You are such an awesome God, Father. You have uh, worked all the things for good so the relationship that we lost with you at the beginning may be recovered. Thank you, God, for the provision of the cross. Thank you for your son and uh, how we can have a good relationship with you now. Father, thank you because we can walk in the light now. Father, thank you because we can be children of the day. Father, but we need your help. We need you, oh God, that help us to behave as sons, as children of the day. Help us to take the message of the gospel to other people. Help us to live a life that glorifies you and honor you. And help us to encourage one another and build up one another about these things. And the hope we have 
Father, we're grateful that we're going to be spared from the day of wrath because you have destined us for salvation. Father, give us grace to represent you, to give you glory, and to behave like children of the day. We need your grace, Father, and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.